you've traveled like with, with work a lot, um, Indonesia, Chile. Um, what's some of your most memorable experiences? Yeah. Um, I suppose there's two categories of memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the most memorable from a, oh, this is exciting stuff would be you know, the work we did up in Finland and Sweden and just seeing mining equipment with snow all over is a totally different environment. And, yeah, and that's yeah. very memorable. That's mm. why I love that region of the world. Sure. Um, and the weekends are memorable, snowboarding yeah. and, and everything. Sure. Um, but in terms of the, you know, the, the most satisfying professionally and all of those things. Working in Indonesia was was great. Welcome to this week's episode of Fit for FIFO. And this week we've got a man who lives and breathes mining so much so that he's actually written a unique book on the subject. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show, Jared. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm really happy to be here and looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, cool, mate. Firstly, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you're up to right now and how you're involved in mining? Yeah, so currently uh, I run a company called Bluefield Asset Management Specialists mm-hmm. and we provide um, asset management or maintenance engineering, reliability engineering services primarily to the mining industry. Right. Um, also a little bit in, in rail and, and also gas mm-hmm. with a, a niche service in gas around hazardous areas. Yep. But um, yeah, so that, that's how we're... Um, working in the mining industry these days. It's providing similar services to what we used to do when we were working for mining companies. Sure. But as a, as a contract provider, I suppose. Okay, great. And um, what's your exact role in there? Um... Yeah, so my role is the managing director of the company. Okay. So I started it uh, with another guy about eight and a half years ago now, right. coming up to nine years. And uh, yeah, so there's just the, the two of us at the start and now there's about... 60-odd with um, most of the people in Brisbane, um, but also people in Perth, Adelaide, New South Wales, around um, Newcastle, Mm -hmm. and six guys over in Chile and a few up in Finland. Sure, sure, nice. Okay, cool. Um, We'll we'll dig a bit deeper into that um, later, but for now, um, how about we get into this beer review? Yeah, great. Looking forward to that. Cool. Uh, While we're... Well, actually, this week we've got... um, We've gone a bit mainstream, but... We've gone to Coopers, um, the Sessions Ale. Have you had one of these before, Jack? No, I've had tried a lot of Coopers, a pale ale, but never a Session Ale. So All right, so I think to similar it. to a Pacific Ale probably, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, strength, we'll give it? it a crack, nice and cold. Uh, it's, oh, it's 4.2. It's, yeah, 4.2. It's, is that, would you, yeah, it's still a heavy, isn't it? It's a little bit more than the normal Session Ale yeah, that I've seen. Yeah, that's they're right. normally around the 3.5. Yeah, sure. Mm. Oh, I've got a bit of froth here, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Good temperature, eh? <laughs> nice. <laughs> what do you cool. think of that? Mm. That's that's really smooth. It's mm. not bad, hey? Yeah, it's got a bit of that Cooper's taste, but yep. a little bit, probably a bit milder than the um, than the pale ale. Yeah, it? yeah, definitely. It's sort of got that little bit of fruity taste as well, tiny like bit, I think, yeah. it, but it's not too... Um, Still a little bit bitter as well. No, it's good. Yeah, but could be a new um, beer in my staple beer. Diet. Yeah, right. <laughs> nice. What sort of beers do you generally drink? Um, I used to say that I, I drank all the beers that started with K, which is <laughs> Cooper's, Kunzmann, which is a Chilean beer. Right. 
a Corona, of course, yeah. and Kilkenny. Okay. <laughs> nice. Some of them C, some of them K, but all, all starting with K. Yeah, right. They were my favourite beers, but these days um, uh, the um, – uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but there, yeah. there's a couple of others coming out. There's all right, these boutique right. beers that are coming out everywhere, and I'm, yeah. I'm trying a heap of them. So moved on from beers that yeah, start with Yeah, there's a few, few around <laughs> in there. Yeah. I'm a bit the same, mate. I, I drink beers that start with when you open it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, nice. <laughs> cool. Uh, mate, just firstly, um, or sorry, before we dig any deeper, I've just um, remembered. So where can um, viewers find you, uh, like on your like your business? Um, on, are you on Instagram or LinkedIn or where? Uh, primarily LinkedIn. Okay. Um, we're also on Facebook, but um, most of the stuff that we do and all the activity, and we try and share information, share learnings that we've had. Yeah, sure. Trying to give as much of that away as possible. Okay. And we do that primarily through LinkedIn. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that's where you can find Bluefield. Yeah, Bluefield or, or myself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm there on LinkedIn, and certainly the book um, has a, a page on LinkedIn as well. Okay, great. Yeah. Sure. Um, and Fit for FIFO, we're on YouTube, obviously. Spotify and iTunes, uh, Facebook and Instagram, and now we're on LinkedIn. Yeah. I finally got around to doing yeah, that. Great. So, yeah, we're on there, mate. Um, cool. So, uh, pass the BS review, um, mate. I actually out of five, what, what would you rate that beer? Um, Overall experience. I think it's got to be at least a four. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I rate it pretty highly too. Mm. I'd say. Uh, instant like for that, it's very drinkable. So yeah, I'd say it's a four, maybe a four point two. Yeah, sure, uh, mate. So our previous uh, chat sounds like you've covered a lot of ground in the mining industry. Um, do you want to run us through your a bit of um, brief history of, of your career, please? Yeah, I suppose I've I've been in the industry now for thirty four years and um, started out when I was an apprentice, mm-hmm. seventeen. Um, studied externally, electrical engineering, started as an electrician um, or apprentice electrician and worked in the mines in central Queensland uh, over my apprenticeship, you know, four years and then post that for another nine or ten years Mm -hmm. and then um, moved from there to Indonesia. Okay. Uh, So I had a a bit short of a couple of years in Indonesia. Uh, We went up there with my wife and, and two kids at that stage and we ended up getting evacuated when when the uh, East Timor seceded and yeah, Australians okay. weren't too popular. Right. But it was a great place, really enjoyed working up there, great people. And, um, you know, still in contact with some of those guys now. Wow. And then, um, so a good experience overall. Yeah, really yeah. good, yeah. And we were disappointed that it got cut short, you know, because wow. um, it was really, we were really enjoying it. Right. And how is your Bahasa? Um, Sedicate Saja. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty bad these days. But when right. I was up there, it was, it was pretty good. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, so then I, we, we came back and uh, I was working with BHP then and left and went to the Hunter Valley mm-hmm. where I worked with Peabody, which then became Rio Tinto. So sure. Peabody got bought out by Rio Tinto. So four years down there, a couple of years electrical engineer, finished my degree in, in those years and, mm-hmm. and then uh, moved on to the maintenance manager's role. And then I came back to BHP based in Brisbane mm-hmm. and I had a role that was like a central maintenance improvement role right. and um, went around all of Australia and, and many other parts of the world uh, mm-hmm. working with sites and just trying to help them out. 
yeah. and share good practices. And, uh, you know, I learned so much there around theories of maintenance and reliability. Like prior to that, 16 years of my career had been in the line, you know, just mm. working up through all the different roles, mm-hmm. every different role you can do in maintenance yeah. uh, and, until this, and that was all practical stuff and with people and all those sort of things. And then in okay. the central role, learning all the theories around reliability and yeah. asset management and all those sort of things, which was great. I loved it. Sure. Um, but then I moved on to Chile for three years with BHP still wow. in another central sort of role but focused on the base metals operations in Chile and what um, age were you um, at this time uh, must have been about 37 okay when we moved over there right um, so we we're over there for three years mm-hmm. so I remember having my 40th birthday over there um, and then moved back and mm-hmm. after sort of five and a half years or so in central improvement roles I wanted to go back into the line and um, it you know, implement some of the theories and things that I've learned. Right. So went back as a maintenance manager for Anglo and flew in and out. That was my uh, longest period of FIFO. Right. Did a little bit of that in Indonesia. Okay. Uh, But, yeah, a bit over 12 months of FIFO, Monday to Friday. Sure. It wasn't really a good experience from a family perspective. Okay. Uh, Loved the role and, you know, maintenance managers, uh, a role that... uh, is dear to my heart, and I love seeing equipment improve and yep. the results come. Mm-hmm. Um, working with the teams directly, sure. But yeah, FIFO wasn't uh, wasn't for you. It wasn't well, not a Monday to Friday. Um, prior to leaving BHP, I did a little bit of uh, eight and six mm-hmm. out of Brisbane uh, to Cannington, and that was fine. I had no problems with that. That was about four months. Okay, uh, but. Yeah, the Monday to Friday is a different kettle of fish. Right, so you're going um, five days on and then coming home for the weekends? Or? Yeah, right. so fly up Monday morning, yep. come back Friday night, mm-hmm. two days home, you just don't get time to connect with your family. Sure. And that, that, I found that really quite um, tough. Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, so wanted to, had to leave that, had another job offer uh, down the general manager path, but... Okay. It meant the same thing yep. uh, for you know four year commitment and mm-hmm. FIFO like that, and I chose to get to know my family more. Sure. And um, we started Bluefield, and yeah. Nice. That last eight and a half years have been really good. Really enjoyed all of the learning and the um, the other the variety of work mm. and, and met so many more people and yeah. variety of companies to work for. It's been awesome. Nice. And was that a pretty fine line between deciding to go down your, your own um, route of Bluefield as opposed to staying um, working for a mining company or uh, was it a pretty easy Well I, I knew that the family was locked into Brisbane sure. you know kids were in school and, and at that age where you could we couldn't move them anymore mm-hmm. they moved well mm-hmm. enough so it was like you know do you get a job in a, a central uh, role with mining companies mm-hmm. or go out and do something different and yeah. the central roles in mining companies, I, I'd done them for long enough, you know, I, I didn't want to do that again. Yeah. So, yeah, and I always wanted to, to run a business and mm-hmm. uh, have, have a go at it. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so I just gave it a go and, yeah, yeah it's been, been really good. Yeah, right. Um, now, I've just thought, like, um, deciding to take on or start a business in the mining industry as opposed to starting a business just in like, I don't know, retail or, you know, tourism or something which would probably 
to most people be less daunting. It's a pretty scary thing, I think, to, yeah. to take on that sort of thing. What, what your, um, what's your experience been overall? And was it? So I started with uh, a partner, Jim mm-hmm. Hood, and, okay. and he um, has been in this uh, contracting services or consulting services type business before. Okay, so great. I wasn't uh, starting it totally by myself, okay. and that was great because he, he had all the systems and sure. he had run some very good businesses. So. That was a, a wise move to, yeah, to do that with him, and I'm really uh, grateful of, of that opportunity. Right. Um, I had tried other little, little things on the side, you know, okay. during my career, little um, retail online type businesses and yeah, things like right, that. Right. And I learned from that experience that okay. uh, yeah. I should do something that I knew about. Sure, yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So Jim was, I suppose, almost like a mental figure in a sense? Yeah, certainly in, in this type of field, providing services. Um, yeah. Yeah, I learnt heaps from Jim, um, you know, in the, the first few years and, mm-hmm. and still do from time to time. He's still involved in business. So, Great. Yeah. Nice. Now, uh, you've travelled, like, with, with work a lot, um, Indonesia, Chile. Um, what's some of your most memorable experiences? Yeah. Um, I suppose there's two categories of memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the most memorable from a, oh, this is exciting stuff, would be you know, the work we did up in Finland and Sweden and just seeing mining equipment with snow all over is a totally different environment. And, yeah, and wow. that's very memorable. Plus mm. I, I love that region of the world. Sure. Um, and the weekends are memorable, snowboarding yeah. and, and everything. Sure. Um, but in terms of the, you know, the, the most satisfying professionally and all of those things, working in Indonesia was, was great. Like those guys really wanted to learn and, and do a great job and, and we, we just connected really well and yeah, right. you know, they, they were really appreciative of being able to go from where they were to, to you know, a much better place in terms of plant reliability and yeah, so okay. that was really satisfying. Right, you know? so, so the people specifically, like the guys you work with? To see the guys learn so much and then mm. their response yeah, to right. that. Yeah, right, very grateful for what Yeah, that meant a real lot to me, you know. Sure because we're able to achieve some great things. And, mm. and I find that if you treat people like you want to be treated anywhere in the world, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're all the same. So, Of course, yeah, yeah that's right. So that was great. Cool. Um, working in mines, like snow-covered mines, that sounds really quite interesting. Is there any, like, strange things that you have to take into consideration with any, like, equipment or anything like that? Oh, well, certainly around the mining equipment, yeah. you know, um, maintenance of mining equipment mm. when it breaks down, all the heaters that are on those machines and yeah. the workshops are a different kettle of fish. They're all heated sure. oh, and nice. totally sealed and <laughs> yeah. especially up in Finland, like it gets to negative 40 degrees. Yeah. I've only ever been up there when it's about negative 16. Negative so. 40. <laughs> Shit, that's yeah. cold. Jeez. But, um, yeah. And is moisture would be a massive problem, right? Uh, not not at those temperatures. Oh, it's too, yeah, it's all dry, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, all, of course. It's very dry. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I don't think moisture is a, a problem compared to some of the you know, wet places down here. Yeah, in, true. Up in um, yep. Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, you probably got more moisture problems. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, mate, you seem to me like a very motivated um, person, and in, in, in like many ways, and and you've achieved quite a lot. Um, just thinking in terms of someone who might be um, feel a little stagnant in their career or, or they haven't really um, achieved what they desire, what, what would you, if there's anything you can identify, 
specifically with um, what's helped you achieve what you have? What, what would you put it down to? Um, I suppose it comes down to, to a few things. Okay. So first thing would be just hard work. Right. You know, I, I, um, I was ambitious, uh, wanted to do things and see the world and, you know, um, get into leadership roles and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to do that. So I realised that I just had to work harder than anyone else and I just applied myself. So that's the first thing. You've got to mm-hmm. be prepared to do more than anyone else is prepared to do if you want to know more and, and be able to add value, more value. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. But also being able to um, recognise mistakes and learn from those mm. and not, not worry about the mistakes. You know, okay, just, yeah. Okay, yeah, made a mistake and right. I made plenty. Yeah. Uh, just learn from that and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, I've got to be better tomorrow and, sure. and move on. Um, so they're probably, uh, you know, two things. And if, the, if there's anything else, it's just a desire to continue to improve my knowledge and, and learn more and grow you yeah know, not not just i've never been one to stay in one role for too long right. uh, you know you need a couple of years in a role two mm-hmm. to three years so i've tended to move after every two and a half three years yeah right up until bluefield, bluefield. where now i've been in this role for eight and a half years yep but still loving every day because of sure. the variety i was about to say you get a lot of variety by yeah. the sounds of it oh yeah heaps yeah that's fantastic yeah. nice yeah that's a great answer um yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, now, over your 34 years, I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes in the industry. Yeah. Um, what do you, I suppose, anticipate to see in the future or what would you like to see or what are your thoughts on the future in mining? Yeah, I, um, I see technology continuing to play a big part mm-hmm. and, you know, we're going to continue to embrace it. Um, but I would like to see us not lose sight of the basics. Okay. Um, you know, the, the fundamentals around good reliability and uh, trade skills and those sort of things. You know, yeah, I sure. think it's going to be a while till we get robots to do the, the jobs that tradespeople have to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even then we're going to have to have tradespeople to fix the robots. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I really want to... Um, I hope to see us not forget about the significant importance that mm. the tradies bring to uh, equipment reliability. You know, we've got uh, data analytics and AI and all those things that we're going to embrace, but those things are still useless without good trade skills. Yeah, of course. So hopefully the mining industry doesn't forget that yeah. and embraces that. And really that's what I wrote the book for yep. is to... Um, uh, remind people of that or make people aware of that because I feel that we are sort of losing sight of, of the significant importance of that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and do you, are you excited for the, for the future or is it a little bit scary with AI and stuff like that? Or no, no. Do you, how do you I'm, feel about it? I'm excited. Yeah. You know, I, I, we've got to embrace it and, mm, sure. um, you know, take control of it and do things and... We've got another business, Reliolytics, which is all about analytics for reliability. Oh, wow. Um, so Bluefield is a, um, a, a 50% shareholder of that business. So, okay. you know, we're embracing that technology and and moving forward with it. But um, when you combine that technology with, you know, the the right approach to mm-hmm. how people work and, and those sort of things, you can get a really good outcome. Mm, sure. uh, just the technology without... 
the people side, right, it doesn't work. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. So you always need that, I suppose, discretion side of things. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to being completely logical. teamwork, you always yeah. need teamwork. You need people working together, mm-hmm. knowing what you're doing as a team. Yep. Going in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. of mm. course, of course. Um, now renewables, mate. Um, I feel that we have really only just scratched the surface of it, and it's. I don't even think I can comprehend the size or the scale of the future of it. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on it? And yeah, I, I think um, you know, in terms of energy, mm-hmm. uh, we're absolutely going to have to embrace more. Well, we are embracing yeah, more sure. re- renewables. You know, we in Bluefield, we certainly want to be um, relevant to that industry as well. Yep. Um, it's it's a quite a um, difficult industry to find your place as a new entrant. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people in, in the industry already. Um, if you talk solar, you know, but there's other types of renewables and uh, and I, I really think that we're still waiting for the, the technology increase or improvement that mm-hmm. makes them uh, efficient. more mm-hmm. efficient yeah. and the, the case for adopting them just, a, a, you know, We've just got to do it lay down as air, you know. Yeah, okay. I, I believe that um, if it was that, uh, you know, desirable right now economically mm-hmm. and, and for the environment and everything, we would just do that, you know. Yeah, and we okay. are. Like, I've, I've seen it with our efforts to, to enter that industry, we've seen how many billions of dollars we're investing in solar and other renewable projects around the country, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I see, see us having to continue, but I really want to see technology advance yeah, okay. further so yeah. that they become more efficient. Of and, course, um, yeah. I know then it'll just swing really fast. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, do you have um, much of an idea of like which countries would you say um, are the leading leaders in like in pushing this movement? Or um, I, I don't really, um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on that mm-hmm. in terms of what, what countries are, are leading in renewable energy. Yep. What I do know is from Finland, you know, you see heaps of um, uh, wind power generators around Finland. Yeah, sure. And Finland's a very green country. Right. Um, but the, the, the economics of those don't seem to be compelling up there either. You know, like when they're reaching their life, they're pulling them down, not replacing them. So. Oh, right. So I'm not sure about the economics of yeah, them over okay. the longer term because mm-hmm, they've mm-hmm. had them there for many years. But yeah. um, that's why I mean I, I feel that we need a technology advance to for the pendulum to swing. Yeah, and gotcha. Just go down that path. Right to re- like reach like an efficient price point or something like to make it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not, sure. not only the price, you know, uh-huh. where we have to invest, but it's uh-huh. it's the availability of the energy source. Sure. Because it's in it requires the right environmental factors for wind. Yep. And and the storage of that energy as well. So of course, yeah. That's yeah, it's not so much the price; it's just the the ability to get the energy when you want it. Okay. Where you want it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that we're getting there. Mm. We're sure. solving the problems, but um, it's yeah. taking a bit of time. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, with your book, mate, who would you say it's uh, most relevant to? Um. I specifically wrote it to be relevant to um, obviously the, the maintenance community mm-hmm. um, and all levels of the maintenance community, sure. uh, but but also uh, to chief operating officers or general managers, mm-hmm. CEOs and CFOs. Right. There's something in there for them as well. Okay, uh, you know, it's it, they might not. 
get something out of all parts of the book, mm-hmm. but there's a couple of, well, there's one section at least around maintenance costs yep. uh, that they'll definitely get something out of and a little bit in the, the uh, area around uh, too much unscheduled maintenance or, mm-hmm. or too many breakdowns, you know. So they're generally the things that I find general managers are disappointed with around uh, the maintenance uh, that they get, right. which is around cost and, and availability. Okay. So there's something in there for them as okay. well. Right. So. And, and also, um, would you say it's still relevant and, and worth reading for um, like sort of anyone working in maintenance or having anything to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's some sites have purchased 30, 20, 30 copies of the book and, and right. just given it out to you know, some of the tradies, supervisors, planners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been surprised uh, of other people who've purchased it and um, yeah. read it themselves and sent me some feedback who aren't really working in maintenance in the mining industry. They're just oh, wow. their suppliers or... Okay or um, things like that, or just people who are interested in the, in the subject. Sure, and, yeah. yeah. so it's been really great to get their feedback. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think you told me that it's sort of set out like in a, almost like a manual format that you can sort of flick to any, any different Yeah, so the, it's in a couple of sections. The right. first section is more around my experience mm-hmm. and how I concluded what I did. Yep. So you can see um, the journey I went through, I sure. suppose, to, and... and how, how I'm thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and then the second section is is, a, is around problems that I've seen in the industry. So, you know, um, I think it's broken into five different areas. The the second part, yep. and it's five uh, problem areas. So too much unscheduled downtime, too much scheduled downtime, too higher costs, mm-hmm. um, people problems, or or transition from projects to operations. Yep, and you could categorise the things that I see, the causes of those problems in any way you want to really that's just how i categorize them okay right and i've um suggested uh solutions or shared solutions to some of those problems that we've used in the past so that second part of the book yeah you don't really need to read everything you can just go to the bit you're interested in oh yeah, yeah. that's the problem we've got okay have a read of that yeah and, and try that sure so it's deliberately set out that way so it's easy to read mm. and, and, and you don't have to go through it sequentially necessarily cool. yeah. yeah and you said it was um you've tried to um really Make it a simple read as well for sort of anyone. I mean, the title says it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, simplifying mining maintenance, yeah. but it is written in, in very simple language, yep. um, so I can understand it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's not written in, in technical jargon, so anyone could could read the book and, yep. and understand uh, pretty well, you know. Sure. You don't need to be a maintenance expert or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's 167 pages. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, about that, 167 something like that. Okay, cool, mate. Is there any um, anything? in there to do with um, acronyms, the overuse of acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have. I, I, I did explain every acronym that I, that right. I used in there, but um, yeah, yeah that, that makes things more difficult. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, have, you, have you seen any um, big issues caused with, with acronyms in uh, mining at all? Because, I mean, I've just worked on so many jobs that I've worked on and, and there's, there's always like miscommunications and stuff. I've never seen any big failures from it, but yeah. to me it just it boggles my mind like... Um, how, how much it's used, you know? Yeah. And to me, it's almost, I, I feel like it's almost an ego thing in some, you know, so like to make people feel really important about, well, look, have this and this. And yeah, it's, it's just people inventing language, you know? Like sure. I know when we have guys that go and work with a particular company mm-hmm. and they might go over there for six months or something like that on a different project and they come back and they're using those acronyms and we're like, yeah. what do you mean by that? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, the, you, people just pick them up and... Sure. 
sometimes people invent them. I think probably even in Bluefield we've probably invented some. I think it's just a human thing, you know. Yeah, but, okay. Uh, just short, shortening the language. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I haven't seen anything that is, um, you know, where it's caused major problems mm-hmm. uh, to my knowledge. But, yeah, certainly around... You, but you've got to be prepared to say, well, what do you mean by that? You know? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, that's that's that, something that yeah. I, yeah, something I'd really like to highlight. I suppose um, for people that maybe new into the industry or um, just to, even to a new site, um, don't ever be afraid to speak up and say, I don't know what that means, you know, because it's so much more important than having a failure or yeah, causing a problem. You know, it's, it's yeah. it, it is definitely one hundred percent. You know, I think um, when I was in the industry many years ago, that open and honest communication, just saying what you thought, was sort of a bit part of the culture, mm-hmm. but probably in a in a, a semi-aggressive way back yep. back in those days. Yeah, of course. But yeah. then I, I went to a, a company in the Hunter Valley, uh, Ben Gala Mine, it was, right. and it was awesome. Like the culture there was amazing, and yeah. they talked about the Ben Gala way, or it was really about open and honest communication, mm. saying it as it is, but more in a more polite way, yeah. I suppose. And yeah, it enabled people to work together mm-hmm. uh, a lot better. And then, you know, recently I've, I've seen a presentation and read a book by um, this guy in Western Australia called Bullshift, mm-hmm. and I referenced it in my book as well. So I think it yeah, right. really does talk about what we're, what we're talking about there, that communication mm-hmm. and getting over those communication issues where people aren't, aren't a, are able to talk about yeah. things openly and honestly. You sure. have to. Yeah, you know, and question things and ask. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and it comes back to culture. Definitely, yeah. like people making people an environment where everyone feels comfortable to speak up yeah. in any situation. You know, absolutely. Yeah. You have to have that. If you don't have it, um, you can't improve. And in fact, even when I was in Indonesia, mm-hmm. I talked about how we made improvements up there. Mm-hmm. You know, that was about making sure the guys up there felt comfortable mm-hmm. to talk about the real problems. Yeah, right. Rather than just tell you what they thought you wanted to hear, you yeah, know, because uh, still back in those days it was still a little bit um, to, to tell the boss something that you thought he might not want to hear yep. wasn't a, a good thing to do. But um, in, by creating an environment where that was expected, that they said it as it was, mm. and actually rewarding guys for saying it as it was yep. publicly, mm-hmm. That created that comfort, and course, by yeah. by talking about those things, we're able to solve problems quicker. Yeah, you know, right. Because you get the you get to the real issue. Yeah, and, yeah. And you move past it. So right. Yeah. And I, sp- I suppose over there, especially um, with different languages, that that's um, always like a bit more of a challenge as well. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, right, mate. So um, I've got a few. I've reached out to a friend of mine. He's actually an E and I supervisor um, for Shell. Um, as I, I knew that he'd have some. Uh, like trade-related questions for you, yeah, uh, mate. So I'll just um, read them out to you. So, first one he's got is, uh, what equipment do you find most commonly as over-maintained? Yeah, I, I think um, some of the things I, I see on mining equipment mm-hmm. uh, it, that's over-maintained is around checks on steering and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, statutory checks. Right. Uh, some of those inspections don't need to be as frequent as they are uh-huh. based on the failure modes and the rate of degradation of those components. Okay. But over the years, they've become so frequent. And, and that's a problem too. It causes problems because yeah, right. the guys who go and do this inspections know that you don't need to check it every two weeks. Yep. 
So they just end up going, it, I know it's the same as last time, tick, 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 mm. you know. And, uh, yeah, so getting those things right, that's probably not, like, the greatest cost mm-hmm. in terms of uh, over-maintenance, but, um, you know, there's other over-maintenance of uh, components where you change them too early and things like that, which probably are a greater cost. But, but those little things, mm-hmm. they're really important to get those frequencies right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Same as the pre-start on cars, you know, if you... Sure. If you've done a pre-start yesterday mm-hmm. and you know that the fire extinguisher is there and it was good, yeah. <laughs> do you need to check it again today, you know? Right. So just making sure that that's sensible. Mm-hmm. You've got to do all those things, but right. making sure those inspections are sensible yep. and they're at the right frequency, mm-hmm. you get a better outcome. Right. Yeah. And just from your experience, um, manufacturers' recommendations, say, say if they have like a very specific recommendation like with the application and everything, do you yeah. find are they quite conservative with um, with what they recommend, or are they usually pretty spot on? Like uh, with mining equipment manufacturers, mm-hmm. uh, they openly say that it depends on the application, oh, okay. and they will give you component lives mm-hmm. and, and task frequencies and things like that, which are quite conservative, so, yeah. very conservative. Right. So you really have to understand how the equipment behaves in your application and, and your sure. environment. Yep. And um, you, eventually you, you make up your own mind. Yeah, so they're just like yeah. <laughs> a lot of that, yeah. yeah. As long as you're doing the things that they say you have to do around uh, for warranty. And, yeah. you know, so things like replacing the filters and uh-huh. using the right type of filters and yeah. that sort of stuff. But they're, they're, well they're, they're spot on themselves. there. The OEMs yeah. know there. But in okay. terms of the life of... of particular things or the inspection frequency or mm-hmm. what you have to do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're going to learn some things uh, based on your own application that you, you need to add to those um, OEM recommendations. Okay. See that, that uh, acronym there, OEM? Yeah, there you go, OEM, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the manufacturers. <laughs> yeah, exactly, there you go. Um, so what are the common flaws in maintenance strategies across sites? Um, I suppose... Uh, I, I did talk a, a bit about this in the book as well. Okay. Uh, when you talk about maintenance strategies, uh, there's two two big things that I see as a, as a gap. One is that people don't have enough scheduled downtime, mm-hmm. so they don't put into their maintenance plan sufficient scheduled downtime to right. do the work. You know, okay. they're trying to cut down the scheduled ma- downtime yep. to improve the availability, mm-hmm. but it's don't do that, you know. Yeah, sure. Do the scheduled downtime that you need and reduce the unscheduled downtime and you will get a much better outcome. Right. You know, I've seen that many times, so that's a big flaw in terms of maintenance strategy. Yep. How much they schedule the equipment down for. Even plants these days, mm. fixed plant, mm-hmm. I see them stre- stretching out their shutdowns so far mm. that and not allowing any windows in between shutdowns to actually keep on top of things mm. that it's causing them more unscheduled downtime. Right. I'm, I'm all for pushing out scheduled downtime but um, to improve the availability, but you've got to ensure you've got enough time to get things done in a, in a planned and proactive way. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so that's one big problem. But the other thing is too that I, over the years I've seen people redo the strategy, redo the strategy, uh, so redo the PM checklist, do RCM mm. or do these types of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, when really the problem's not that. The problem is how the current strategy is being executed. Mm. So 
you know, a big focus of mine and a big focus of uh, what I wrote in the book is around uh, getting that culture where people care, mm -hmm. have that ownership of the equipment, yep. you'll get a, a better outcome than rewriting the documents over and over and over again. Yeah, right. So, And how, how I mean, this is a very broad question, but how would you, would, would education be, be probably the, the best way of sort of promoting that, would you say? In terms of um, getting people to own the equipment yeah. and getting that culture right, yeah, yeah well, it's it's um, something that I'm still working on, still mm -hmm. learning. Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason I wrote the book is to get uh, that message out there more. Yep. We've got some things that we've done which have been successful, okay. but creating a culture is really, really based around that specific site and mm -hmm. the people, and um, so sometimes what we do doesn't work. Um, uh, so... Yeah, I think you just um, continuing to talk about problems similar okay. to what we were talking about there before. Yeah, you know, having a desire to improve. Yeah, um, and then a couple of rituals mm. that you embed, yep. like your daily shift start meeting and, and all of those sort of things mm -hmm. that generate the discussion in the right way. Yeah, of course. So you know the same as the the safety journey, how mm -hmm. we've improved the safety culture over the years. Yep, we've embedded a few rituals into mm -hmm. the way we work right so those things are good right yeah hey um just a question of my own have you guys got any do you guys um use any certain um methods or um recommendations or something for team morale like building team morale like is there anything that you guys um like sort of push or yeah yeah absolutely and and that's our process that we we call bluefield transformation mm -hmm. um the outcome is that it builds team morale. Okay. Um, and I, I talk about in, in the book three things that make a successful team. Mm -hmm. They are people who have different skills, you know, electrical, mechanical, supervision, engineers, yep. tradies. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the second thing being um, a commitment to common performance goals. Right. And those two things we always find. Yeah. People are committed to getting the business performance metrics there, people are committed, people have all the different necessary skills they need. Yep. But the third element is is a commitment to a, a method or an approach okay. to which they hold themselves mutually accountable. Right. So this is where the, the issue starts to, um, when people have difference of opinion of how things should be done. Yeah, right. Or what's an acceptable standard. Mm -hmm. And then that, that's when they start to have issues. Mm. And if they don't have that mechanism to get over them, mm -hmm. morale starts to drop. Sure. Yep. So people don't like working there because they don't think anyone cares or right. you know, the boss doesn't let them do what they think is important and all those sort of things. So mm. our transformation process is all about getting them aligned and okay. working as one team right. in the same direction. Yep. And that's what I love to see out of it the most is when... You come back mm. and they've been doing that. They feel proud that they've been able to achieve these things because they got over those issues. Yep. And the morale lifts. You know? Yeah, right, right. If you, if you don't get that happening at the same time, uh -huh. you, you won't get the outcomes, you know. Sure, sure. So, and just creating a harmony between the, the team yeah, as well. But it's creating an, the environment where they can talk about mm -hmm. the problems. They yep. can raise issues and, and get a solution, a workable solution mm. or agreement on how they're going to move forward even yep. if they're not. If it's not one way, they're all agreed. Yep, sure. that's the approach. Yep. We call them working agreements. Okay. 
So we write them down. Yeah. So out of our, our process, you get actions, mm-hmm. but you also get these working agreements. Right. And it's the working agreements that WAs. help people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, help people work together. And, yeah, 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 sure. Um, I actually was reading a book, um, I know it was a personal development book, and they were talking about creating the perfect harmony and culture in, in any business or something. And they were saying that was, this is, I mean, obviously not humans, but they did a study on chickens. And what they did, they took two groups of chickens and they had one group was all these star performing laying chickens. So um, it, it was on who, who could produce the most eggs. Oh, yeah. And so they had the top layers and they picked like a group of uh, 20, I think it was, of like all the best performing chickens, yeah. put them together. And then they took just a group of 20, just average normal chickens and put them together. Yeah. And they're all in their, I don't know, closures together. And the uh, the out, ideal outcome was well, they, they wanted to see who was going to um, lay the most. Yeah. And they thought the performance, everyone, as everyone would assume, the performance chickens would lay more eggs. Yeah. But it turned out that the average chickens <laughs> laid a lot more because the like these, um, they were, I don't know, probably like really cocky chickens, I suppose you could say. They, a lot of them killed each other. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did read that did as you? well. Do you yeah. remember what that was in? I yeah, I, I don't remember where it was, but mm. I did read that, that study. And, it's interesting, you know, isn't it? To me, it all comes down to the same as a sporting team. You know, the old, yeah. the old saying that uh, um, a champion team will always outdo a team of champions. Yes, you yeah. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, no I fully, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. and I fully agree with that. And, it's interesting, isn't it? It's having everyone working together. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to all be superstars. You don't have to have superstars. Yeah. yeah especially in mining maintenance, you know, we can we can achieve incredible results mm-hmm. without having superstars. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mate, uh, one more question from um, the E&I supervisor. Yeah. So this is sounds like more of an opinionated question. Uh, mine operators are generally very rough um, with the gear. How does it, that curb the culture? Um, yeah, you know, that's the old adage about maintenance and, mm-hmm. and operations. Right. You break the gear and we fix it sort of thing. But yeah. um, my, for, from my experience, the, uh, the answer to that is, is communication. Mm-hmm. Just and, and giving the operators the information yep. and the the data they need to see mm. to be able to fix it themselves. They don't want to break the gear. Of course, yeah. But when a maintenance guy has come out and said, it's because of you, yeah. they don't believe it. They hear, they see the mouth sure, moving the sure. ma- maintenance guy, but they don't hear anything that's coming out. Yeah. So, you know, it's the age-old witch think, hunt, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they yeah. just <laughs> think, oh, he's just whinging again, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I've got personal experience of that where, um, you know, we had a loader mm-hmm. that was... Um, it was being not operated correctly mm-hmm. and overloading it and those sort of things and causing the arms to crack. Okay. But it took ages to, for me to be able to get that data out and show and align that data with the, the system that tracked who was operating and all those sort of things oh, yeah. and put that together and show the, the mine manager. Mm. And he goes, all right, now I understand. And from then on, full commitment you know they didn't yeah, want to right. break the gear okay yeah they just thought that oh, i was just a maintenance guy whinging as yeah. they always do sure yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that for me that's been the it's about you know working together and yeah and showing them with facts and data right so and it's beside the point at the end of the day isn't it who yeah. broke it doesn't like oh that's well, right you, you've both got the same um goal in the end don't yeah. you yeah yeah absolutely mm. um You've got to get the business to go. You know, everyone knows that you need the equipment available, and everyone knows you need it. 
operated well. Yeah. So, right. yeah, it's just that belief and trust. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, now, mate, some um, books. You're, you're um, I take it you're a pretty heavy reader and you do enjoy a good book. Yeah. Um, any recommendations for either trade-related books or even personal development or, or um, books you like to read yourself? Yeah, look, I've, I've read heaps of books over mm-hmm. the years, um, uh, a lot of personal development books. In the in my book, I, I referenced the Bullshift book okay. yep. and also um, uh, Extreme Ownership by mm-hmm. Joko Willink. Okay. Uh, so I read, read those two quite recently. Right. Are um, they um, like sort of to do with industry or...? No, they're, they're more around just um, generic... Um, things to do with people. Okay. And, yep. you know, extreme ownership is about leadership, mm-hmm. owning the outcomes, right. no matter what they are. Okay. You know, so yep. uh, they they are really great books. Mm. But you know, I don't. I suppose in terms of technical maintenance theory, RCM two by John Mowbray. That's a must. That's the bible of um, you know reliability theory. Yeah. And, okay. uh, if you're in maintenance and reliability space. Yep. RCM2, you have to read that. Is it a heavy read? Um, yeah, yep. it is, but the concepts are quite logical. And, right. and when actually, uh, you know, I've given it to a lot of people in our team, mm-hmm. and when tradies read it, and the same as when I read it, yep. uh, you think, oh, well, that's just logical, you know, it's yeah, just what sure. we do. Um, mm-hmm. and it, but then you have a language around that as well. So. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, and it takes your thinking to another level. So, okay. yeah, yep. it's really... Probably the the one I'd recommend to start with from a technical perspective. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. Uh, mate, we're just about finished there. Um, have you got any final um, things you'd like to share? Messages or maybe some advice for guys in the industry, guys and girls in the industry or outside? I suppose from you know the the book perspective, mm-hmm. um, what I'd like to see people do is to go out there and simplify one thing today. Mm-hmm. You know. Don't create another system. Don't create another checklist. Don't create another piece of paper. Just um, take out those things, mm-hmm. but allow people to talk about the problems uh, of uh, that are occurred when when we don't do things correctly, mm-hmm. and just that discussion will solve those problems. Sure. So you know, I'd love to see people go out there and uh, remove one piece of process mm. that you can do without today right, you right. Know, and and keep it simple and and, yep. and allow people to to talk openly and yeah uh, okay and do you sort of try and um, use that in your personal life as well your everyday life outside of work um keep things as simple as possible yeah yep. I, i'm a pretty simple thinker i, I don't yep. want to overcomplicate things so sure. yeah yep. um i suppose i've always been like that just Get in, get it done, mm-hmm. and keep moving. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of any specific examples in my personal life, but um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to, to complicate things. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, mate. Well, um, yeah, that's that's um, everything we've covered there. Um, well, I just wanted to say, Jason. You know, I think it's great uh, what you're doing, and uh, FIFO is a is something that. Um, while people are moving more and more to the city and working remotely and all that, mm-hmm. there's still going to be a lot of years where uh, rely on people doing FIFO, and, and it is a, sure. you know, it's a, it's a big um, ask mm-hmm. to be away from family and yeah, uh, respect people that can do that. And mm-hmm. I think it's great to have something where they can listen in and 
and um, talk about challenges around that as well. So, yep. Yeah, cheers. Great, well done. Yeah, thanks for that. Righto, mate, uh, just before we finish up, um, where can our viewers or listeners follow um, yourself or Bluefield? Uh, yeah, so the easiest way to get in contact with me or, or Bluefield mm-hmm. uh, or look at the, the book and, and things is just through LinkedIn. Okay. So, yeah, you'll find me there easily. Right, cool. And, uh, yeah, happy to happy to answer questions. Always love talking to people about, um, you know, their thoughts and, mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Um, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We're also on Spotify, iTunes and YouTube. If you have any suggestions, feedback or maybe some um, episodes that you'd like to see, please uh, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jared. Thanks very much, Jason. Really Cheers. appreciate it. Keep no doing the good stuff, mate. Thanks, mate.